my goal is always to open people's eyes to their capability as a runner because when people have never done speed and then they jump in they get really excited because they get much faster much quicker if they're willing to commit even for four weeks Welcome to episode 124 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Dan Fitzgerald, co-founder of Heartbreak Hill Running Company and South End Athletic Company, coach, runner, and surfer on the podcast. I started Running on Ohm because hearing the stories of wellness pioneers changed my life. And by bringing you conversations with inspiring minds from running, health, yoga, artistic, and spiritual backgrounds, I believe that these people and their stories can help transform your life. If this is your first time tuning into Running on Ohm, welcome. And if you listen regularly, thank you so much for supporting the show. Last week, I published seven podcasts in seven days. I'd never done that before, and it was a part of the Rue Rises series. I really cannot begin to express how much your support and love in sharing the podcast last week meant to me. Your words on Instagram, your tweets, your Facebook comments and emails about how running on Ohm is impacting your life honestly make my day every time I hear from one of you. So please join in the conversation and let me know what you think. If you want to help spread the word about running on Ohm, it's also pretty simple. All you have to do is tell someone. Maybe you tell your running partner, your father, your yoga teacher, your cousin, or even your dog. Word of mouth is really powerful, and I believe these conversations can plant seeds of inspiration in those around you. In today's conversation, I talk with Dan Fitzgerald, co-founder of Heartbreak Hill Running Company and South End Athletic Company, coach, runner, and surfer on building running communities. Dan has been deeply involved in the sport of running since outdoor track in high school, and he was a successful middle distance runner at Boston College. After graduating, he began coaching and working for Quicksilver, the surfing brand. Dan then went on to co-found Heartbreak Hill Running Company and South End Athletic Company with his former BC College teammate, Justin. These are two specialty running stores in Boston that are honestly more than just places you go to buy shoes, but really communities, communities that inspire people to train hard and immerse themselves in becoming a better runner. In today's conversation, Dan shares his own story as a runner, his coaching philosophy, and his journey he has taken in building two of Boston's strongest running communities. It was a real treat to get to sit down with Dan in person at South End Athletic Company, and I'm really excited to share this podcast with all of you. Welcome, Dan, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So we get to be sitting in person in your running store, South End Athletic Company. And I've actually never done a podcast in a running store, which is kind of cool because obviously a big population of the listener base is people who love to run, but we've never done it with shoes and gear surrounding. (laughs) Well, I'm glad uh, I can be the first. (laughs) Yeah. So what is your running story? When did you first lace up your shoes and what inspired you to start running? The, my first memories of running were always playing games as a kid, and um, I was a Boy Scout for a little while, you know, up until freshman year of high school, I think. And uh, in the seventh and eighth grade, some of the older guys that were Boy Scouts were also on the track team. And I remember when we were playing Relivio or whatever we'd be playing, I could run with them or run fast enough that they couldn't catch me. <laughs> so I knew I'd eventually gravitate toward track and field uh, when I got to high school. So that was the beginning of my competitive journey. And in high school, I read online that you were the record holder for your high school in the 800 meters. I was, I was. It got, uh, I forget, I think it got knocked down maybe five years, four years later, which I was a little bummed about. But yeah, I I did hold it. (laughs) I said it my, I think I said it the first time my junior year and then, you know, 
broke it by a little more my senior year a couple times. So. And what was that experience like to obviously have so much success in running in high school? Was it exciting or pressure filled? Or it wasn't really. I, I I was a basketball player and also a soccer player, so track was something I only did in the in the spring. So I didn't actually run cross country in, until college, uh, which. Saying that I ran cross country in college is a little generous. I was officially on the team so that I could practice and prepare for the 800 meters. But um, in high school, I wasn't—I didn't really consider myself a runner. I considered myself an athlete and probably a bad basketball player who also was pretty good at track, relatively speaking. So um, there wasn't much pressure on it. I didn't know that you know my one of my high school coaches, the assistant coach with whom I didn't work very closely, when I ran, I think two meter. Uh, you know, under two minutes for the first time, he said, man, that's, that's great. You're going to have a, you know, a great career. And I just kind of shrugged and said, okay, <laughs> I didn't really know. You, you know, didn't really know the gravity of it. Yeah. That. I didn't know, you know, that under two minutes was a big benchmark. You know, I wasn't somebody who studied running or anything like that in high school at all. And once I got involved in it, I, I started to a little bit more, but I didn't really have a great understanding of it. So do you think during that time early on, you were just totally running by feel? Like, can you take me to a high school race for you where you broke two minutes? Because that is a really big accomplishment. Yeah, it was always about racing. You know, it was always about sitting. You know, they'd say, they'd tell me to sit on uh, another guy from another team and, you know, just try to run with this person. He's going to be fast. And I would try to run with that person. Sometimes I'd lose or sometimes I'd be close and sometimes I'd win. And uh, it was, you know, it was always for competition. That was always sort of what brought me out. It wasn't... uh, an unbridled joy of running. It was definitely a, all right, let's see if I can win here. And I took it very, very seriously. Um, you know, once once it became clear that I had a job where I was supposed to score points and be looked to, to you know, run the 4 by 400 after the 800 or uh, contribute to the team in any way, it was something I took very, very seriously. So meets were always stressful. So when I talk to people now about road racing and that kind of thing, the idea of racing as fun is still, even though I'm, you know, probably now 15 years removed from college or around there it's still funny to think about racing it's fun because it was so serious for, you know in terms of how I approached it it's I've loosened up a bit but that's how it was then you know it was something like you know I didn't want to talk to people headphones on do my job and then <laughs> move on yeah so when you got to college and that first season of cross country and continuing throughout college you obviously imagine had to make a jump into higher mileage and more structure and racing longer distances that were maybe outside your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like from you, from going from being the big fish in a little pond to maybe not as a big fish? (laughs) Uh, It was was a shock because I had run, in high school I had run on the track every day, which sounds very strange to me to think of now that I, you know, every single day I was on the track. I think I did maybe two or three, what I would call distance runs back then of four miles. So... Uh, when I got to college, it was very different, and I was, you know, really excited. I figured, okay, if I never ran cross country and I never ran indoor track before getting to college, I should be able to contribute to those teams in a meaningful way. I thought. Meanwhile, I had never run more than 15 miles per week, ever, <laughs> upon arriving to, you know, getting there. So um, that was a big, big shock. I, you know, I, I was on the cross country team for the purposes of training for the eight, thinking at, at first and. Uh, my naivete that I could contribute to the cross country team, but I ended up injured pretty quickly. You know, I probably went from I, I never really trained for running. I just came off basketball season and was fit, and then ran track and did okay. Got fit through through the season, and then I took the summer off. Maybe started to get nervous about the fact that I was about to join a college cross country team, so maybe went for a couple of jogs two weeks before, <laughs> and then you know jumped in with guys that had been running. 100 mile weeks for four years and you know just uh it was a bit of a disaster uh, 
I got injured pretty quickly. I ended up with Achilles tendonitis, um, you know, probably within three weeks or so. Um, cause at that point, you know, I don't want to say I can't do anything and I figure I'm going to catch up and, and, uh, I'll figure it out. But it was definitely a, a major, major shock adjusting to a higher volume, you know, and then of course recovering from an injury right away, uh, and not running my high school PR until sophomore year, you know, it was definitely a struggle for sure. Um, but it was a struggle that I think I learned a lot from, you know, I think getting injured, um, is really helpful <laughs> once you go through that, that journey. Um, especially early on, it helps you figure out what works for you, what doesn't, and you can be a little bit more reflective and see and relate to other people's injuries. You know, that's how you learn unless you're studying that. <laughs> like you learn by getting injured <laughs> unless you're studying to be a PT or, you know, a physician or something. So that was, that was good training, but yeah, definitely a shock. Do you think there was ever a moment or a time during that period where you decided or had the mental decision that you were like, I'm not going to run anymore. I think I want to step back from this. Maybe I wasn't cut for this. Or was it always something you had faith in? It was always a competitive drive. It was okay. You know, I had a, a partial scholarship, so it felt, you know, it was sort of like a job in that way. It was like, okay, I'm here to do this. And I, I really uh, enjoyed the, you know, the, the idea of being a division one athlete at a, a, a big school like BC was something that I was proud of and excited about. And quitting was never really an option (laughs) never even felt like something I would consider it was just sort of an injury it wasn't a time to reflect on anything other than I want to be as fast as I wasn't faster (laughs) so it was was difficult but I never considered quitting and when you look back at your collegiate career what stands out as a really memorable race whether it was one that was very mentally challenging for you or one where you hit a PR that was really unexpected? Yeah, I think there are, there are two. Uh, one um, is, all, you know, the PR race is always one you remember, right? And that was an odd one for me because I ran, uh, I ran my PR at the Harvard Dual Meet in December indoors. So it was like the very first meet of the season before you even start your season. My fastest time ever was there because I'd done so much base work. I was uh, training with my coach all summer, who was a, uh, her, main, her name is Michelle Ave, and she was training for the 800-meter uh, um, Olympic trials. So I did all of her pace work. Uh, she's now an executive at Brooks on the apparel side. Um, but I had done all her pace work, so I was very sharp that summer. Usually I'm not as sharp as I was, but I had a job that summer to make sure I was hitting her splits on the track twice a week, and uh, it was really fun to be involved in and her side of the world as a, you know, she was a professional runner to see that. And her husband had been a former professional runner, Steve Ave, great miler. And, uh, so I ran my, my PR completely alone, basically in the Harvard duel busted out probably one of the fastest times in the country for that early, you know? So I thought, okay, this is going to be the best season ever. But as you can tell, since it's my PR story, it wasn't, <laughs> I didn't get much faster. Uh, so it was a bit of a frustrating season in that way, my senior year, but, um, you know, I stayed around that, that, that level, but obviously you always want to go faster, and especially if you do it in December. You assume by the time you get to outdoor track, you'll be flying. But I think I was pretty ground down by that point, having trained so hard for so long. I was a little bit weaker than I wanted to be. And then the other race I remember um, very fondly was one with Justin, my business partner, and uh, my friend Marshall. And I think it was the 400 meter runner on, on our team, Pete. And it was the Duke relays. The meet was running late. Uh, the weather was perfect, and we're just sitting in the grass and it was the most relaxed I'd ever been before race where it felt fun, you know, we're chatting with some of the other relay teams and just, uh, and then ran, we ran a great time. We ran our best time, which I don't know, was probably, I think it's still in the top five or top three distance medley, um, 
races in BC history, but it was just a really fun environment too. Or I'd, I'd never been so relaxed before a race and had a good race like that. So um, I think part of that is the few times, you know, track can be a unifying experience for a team. You know, as a relay, you're working with each other. It's not just, it's not just about you and you can, you know, that one, it was just a, a special day. So I remember that one very fondly. Were the seeds of HHRC and SEAC planted with Justin during your time at BC, or did they come to being after you graduated? It never crossed my mind until probably 2008. <laughs> um, I've always liked retail and like shopping. Justin went straight into accounting. You know, I, I thought I would be in coaching. That's what I, I, I wanted. If I didn't think professional running was going to be a thing for me uh, after my senior year season. Um, so coaching seemed like the next logical step for me. And I worked at a running store and coached track at BC, just my 800-meter group. And um, also enjoyed surfing, you know, wanted to surf more, and running wouldn't allow me to surf during the school year. So I was looking forward to getting into that. And about a year and a half uh, of working at the running store and coaching, or maybe it was just a year, maybe just a year. Even less. I got a job at Quicksilver, so I worked for Quicksilver for seven years. So I got to tour around, um, you know, selling as a wholesale sales representative, everything with the mountain and wave on it uh, for New York and Orange. So I, I got to, well, everything except the clothing line. So wetsuits, accessories, that kind of thing. Um, I got to see all the cool surf shops and skate shops around New York, Long Island, and that, that really inspired sort of the look and feel uh, of these stores but it wasn't something that I thought I would open a running store I thought I was done with running and I was <laughs> more surfing um, but then I started to I never stopped running um, so it was fun to bring it all home and bring that sort of aesthetic that I like about the surf skate element and their attitude into running because I think it it's a little different you know I try to make our stores feel and, and look and feel different and uh yeah, I definitely never expected it, though. It's just sort of one of the, that's what I was saying about your podcast. <laughs> Sometimes all of the things you do add up into something that you don't see until you see it, you know. <laughs> and that, that's what it was for me. It was, you know, the love of coaching, getting people faster, training a certain way, and <laughs> learning retail across the, the region and, and in the surf skate industry, and then, you know, bringing it back to, to running and something that I had some expertise in, so... Can you speak to me a little bit more about what you mean by the surf skate culture and bringing that into running? Like specifically, what do you feel like it embodies that this store has? I think it's a little bit, uh, tends to be a little bit counterculture. The, the tough thing about surf skate, it happens to all the companies is they start out as they're the new cool brand and everybody wants it. And then when you get too big and you sell out, nobody wants it anymore. So, you know, all the, all the brands have this difficulty where they start in someone's basement or someone's garage and they grow and the core guys like it, respect it. It was started by somebody who's, you know, usually a good surfer skater or something that they have friends that are and it grows organically and then it ends up in Macy's and Nordstrom and those are great stores, <laughs> but um, it makes the guys that are, you know, underground skater types or surfers feel like oh you know it's not as special anymore you know so running uh doesn't really have that running's not an underground cool thing running's everywhere you know no one that runs thinks nike is you know anything that other than great i think you know i mean it's it's a very high level brand i think the the brands all command great respect uh and it doesn't matter that you can get them everywhere <laughs> uh it's just the way it is it's running people do it everywhere you know or it's so i think that counterculture that um that 
we try to exhibit in, in our aesthetic in the sense that we don't have any branded POP in our stores. We don't really have, you know, we don't have the latest ad campaigns from anybody because I, I want our brand to speak uh, to the heart of what we do and our brand being, you know, our store, our logo and make those sort of the pinnacle, make it something that's, that's special um, because it's different and because, uh, you know, it's true to the core in a sense rather than just uh, following the, the big market. A big part of the brand logo for you guys is the heart. How did that come into conception and who created it? <laughs> so I designed the logo. Um, we were looking for a second location after the South End store, Justin and I, and we were toying with a couple different areas and uh, we heard, got wind of the spot at Heartbreak Hill. Um, we're trying to think of names for these two locations we were considering, and uh, when Justin mentioned Heartbreak Hill Running Company, we just said, okay, that's it, we're done, that's, that's the one. And for me, I always liked um, authenticity and um, simplicity are things that mean a lot to me in, in terms of branding and design, uh, even though I have absolutely no background in uh, branding, <laughs> or I guess design. <laughs> branding, now that I've done two, two, I guess you can say I have some background in it, but um, the heart to me it was just the idea was just I want it to be as authentic as possible so the line that breaks the heart is actually the elevation profile of Heartbreak Hill so uh, it literally is the heart and it's, I think it's just very simple and, and, and powerful that way we can use it a lot of different ways um, but it, to me it was sort of a statement of simplicity in the face of every, every brand coming to town doing a vertically broken heart and calling everybody a heartbreaker and using a Boston accent and thinking that's cute you know I wanted something that was a little bit more Timeless, less kitschy, that could elevate, you know, our, our status, and it's it's worked well. People seem to really respond well to it, whether or not they know what the heart is. I, I hope they do. I try to uh, make sure everybody knows what what it represents, but um, they seem to like it either way. So that's that's good. It makes me happy. <laughs> During the evolution and the growth of these two stores, what would you say has been a really big breakthrough moment for you guys? probably been the coaching I guess um, or or the community I think it's that's what it really comes down to is having a store full of people that really care about what we're doing when it's related to our our programming you know and and then responding to the product in a favorable way too so I think um, the size of the community when we do certain things and the 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 passion people have for what we do has been um, really by far the most rewarding and sort of like, oh, okay, you know, looking at the size of our group sometime, I said, wow, these people all choose to show up here. That's really, that's something special. All the, you know, people that choose to be a part of what you do. Um, there's a, there are a lot of choices out there. So when, when people choose to, to, to be here with us, it's, it's something I take seriously and, you know, makes it feel special. Yeah. And I mean, you are, I think, a community organizer in the coaching that you do, not only in these stores, but through the Boston Marathon, you coach many marathon groups. With your coaching, who has been a really big inspiration for your mentor in the coaching philosophy that you have now? Uh, a lot of it has been informed by, um, in terms of coaching, my coach, Michelle Ave, was um, really fun to work with. And um, I don't generally coach uh, runners that are you know, at, at the elite level at all. <laughs> I wouldn't say I don't generally do it. I don't do that. <laughs> um, other than I'm working with Lou a little bit now, uh, and he's sub elite right now, but he's getting pretty close to <laughs> knocking on the door. So 
but generally what I, I try to do is bring the principles of getting fast to people's running. And that, that's just something I think uh, if you pay attention to what you're doing yourself and listen to your coaches and if you have good coaches, which I feel like I was fortunate enough to have, uh, we had Randy Thomas at, at Boston College and then uh, Michelle Ave coached my group. And uh, every runner, I think when you, when you train for track and field, every run has a purpose. So that's what we try to have here you know when I first the very first run club we started was here on Thursday nights and the idea for me was always to make it a very purposeful run where people would do drills we'd you'd do a warm-up do some track work and then some drills and jog home which to me is the most simple thing in the world but most running stores just go for a four eight mile jog and I had no interest in doing that because if you do that every day I think people are much less likely to do speed on their own. So if you just throw in another four miler, but do it somewhere a little nicer at a running store or something with a bigger community, I don't think it makes people a better runner. I think it it's fun, <laughs> but my goal is always to open people's eyes to their uh, capability as a runner. Because when people have never done speed and then they jump in, they get really excited because they get much faster, much quicker if they're willing to commit even for four weeks. Um, so I think we've had runners that are still in our group from uh, the very first run we ever did. You know, so it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. So for listeners out there who can't or aren't in Boston and mm-hmm. can't receive your coaching and be a part of this community, what would you say are a few tangible things they can do to improve their speed that they may not be aware of? I say go to the track. <laughs> Definitely just jog over to the track. You know, I had a, a this question, a similar question. Now, what, how do I start running? I said, well, how far do you have a track near your home? I'd say, you know, jog over there, stop, stretch, relax a little bit and do three times 200 meters, you know, half the track and then just kind of walk, jog and do some lunges. Once you catch your breath after those three and jog home, it's, it'll make you a much better runner than just another three or four miler. And it doesn't need to be much more than three or four miles in total. You know, I like 10 minute warm up by 200 do some light drills if you don't know too many drills I think lunges are a good one to lay a foundation and, uh, and just jog home and <laughs> you'll, you'll see the dividends and you coach a lot of marathoners do you even include track workouts and oh, their absolutely. work yeah absolutely I think there's <laughs> I, I make this joke I don't think there's any marathoner who would say that you know I'd be better if I were slower so I, I think it's important that they work their legs differently. I think uh, that, that's the point. Every run should have a purpose. Some days you get faster. Some days you build, uh, you know, you you adapt over the long run. Uh, there's a, all kinds of things I like them to do. I don't want them to be just marathon finishers. I want them to be the best runner they can be and therefore be able to tackle the marathon. That's always how I look at it. The marathon's just a race. You know, I think some people think, oh my God, I'm doing the marathon. You know, and, that, and that's that's it. But it's, we're going to turn you into a good, strong runner who can run the marathon. It doesn't really have anything to do with that race in my mind. <laughs> it's it's yes. more like being, the, obviously, the, the long runs are geared toward the marathon. But I, I think the secret is they're becoming more powerful runners if they're following the program, which would include speed, you know, long runs, maintenance runs, tempo runs. You know, they're, they're all in there. I think every ability should do it, whether it doesn't matter how fast or slow you do it. It just matters that you do it. Yes. Um, so I think people, sometimes uh, people that, are going to be quite far from winning the race think that there's no need for them to to uh to do some speed but i think it's really critical it, it helps it helps everything 
keeps you healthy. Completely, because I think when you're going faster, you're really using neuromuscular pathways Mm -hmm. and you're building a stronger body so that at a slower speed, you can have better form. Exactly. And that's huge for injury prevention. And that's something I talk with my athletes about often. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's crucial. And so you have done marathons and Mm -hmm. you've obviously imagined brought a little bit of that 800 speed (laughs) to the marathon distance, which you've had some success in. What has that been like for you to take on marathons going from a middle distance background? Uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I still don't consider myself a distance runner. Even I mean, I've only run two, two marathons. But um, I mean, when I was training for the 800 meters, I was running 65 miles a week roughly and probably um, nine or ten runs a week, uh, two speed workouts and uh, you know, a long day, maintenance days. So... When I ran the f- my first marathon, I think my peak mileage was 55 miles a week. You know, then when I trained for Boston, I was alternating basically between 35 miles a week and 45 miles a week. So I think for that level of mileage, I was happy with my time. Um, yeah. But uh, there's definitely a lot. I, th- I think it just showed me that you know I don't necessarily need to grind away at my body if I work hard. I was doing a lot of uh, you know, much faster than marathon pace work and speed workouts, and just wanted to make sure I felt comfortable and fast, and then. I'd hit the long runs and then recover for a week, and it worked out. So I, it's uh, the transition to me. That's I guess the <laughs> that, that's the tough part. Is I ran more when I ran the eight hundred meters. I ran less when I ran the the, yeah. <laughs> the marathon. So I don't I don't know that there's a transition other than uh, learning that I can run for a long time. You know, there's that the first time you go sixteen or eighteen uh, is is a learning process. You know, so for me. The hardest run I ever did was my first 15 or 16 miler. Granted, it's partly it was so difficult because I surfed hard for three hours and then took a short nap and then tried to do the run. <laughs> so I was probably a little depleted, but I just thought, man, I don't know if I can do this. This is really long. You know, I can always surf and go for a hard run, just not a hard 15. <laughs> it turns out uh, when it was my first one, but runs after that felt pretty comfortable. You know, I think if you that's what I try to tell my runners is it feels hard now, but the next one will be easier because you did that one. And it's just, they are baby steps. You know, you can't look at the program at the beginning and say, Oh my God, 18 miles in 12 weeks. I can't do that. Well, we're not asking you to do it right now. We're asking you to do it then. So, uh, the first year I coached the marathon, I didn't give out the program. I just sent it week to week because I didn't want people to freak out about future mileage, but you know, people like to know what they're getting into. So I, I now give out the program up front, but I do like the idea of just focusing on every day, every, you know, it's always the same principle. One interval at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time. One step. One, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you maximize each one of those things, each step, each each interval, uh, you can put together a, a really great training block. So that's how, I, how I've approached it. And I think breaking things down into micro steps also transfers to your other love, which is surfing, that it's just one wave at a time. And there's a lot of patience that's harnessed in surfing as well. I have a good friend who's been on this podcast as well. Her name's Carly Wilson. And we talked a lot about that, that experience of when you're surfing, it's a lot of waiting for the wave. What's your, when did you start surfing and what's that, what's your love of it? Uh, it's always, I guess I started uh, bodyboarding when I was a kid in, in Maine and uh, I didn't get my first board until senior, uh, no, after my freshman year of college, I got my first board and could only surf in the summer because I was running track. So uh, I just always liked the water, liked the ocean, liked the act of riding waves and feeling fast on a wave. Um, was fun. And then the first time I got 
caught a, a, a good wave. I still remember the perspective of just sort of seeing the whole ocean moving and you're flying down. It's just a very cool look and feel that feels and looks very different than even the pictures that look great. But like the perspective from the beach and from the water are just so different, you know, and it's almost sometimes I'll sit out there and, and think, why would you be walking on the beach when you could be out here? You know? <laughs> like looking and thinking, those people must be nuts. Meanwhile, you know, it, it'll look like it can look pretty dangerous. <laughs> Some there would be freezing cold, you know, and they're looking at us thinking, why are those guys out there? They're nuts. Um, but it's always been about solitude and just and enjoying being out there and sort of forgetting everything. And it's a fun, it's another, it's also just a fun challenge, you know, to go out there and go straight out against the ocean, get out there and uh, catch some waves. And I think you're right. It is a lot about patience. People think surfing is all action, like surf videos, but yeah, it's a lot of just sitting on your butt and waiting and paddling, thinking wave is a good one and forgetting about it. But you do have to be really tied to the moment, you know, otherwise you can't maximize the wave. It's always reacting to what's happening, which is, is really fun. But it, it informed my lifting and, and training just because it can be so, um, what would you call it? Uh, just so dynamic. You just have to be ready to spin, turn, paddle as hard as you can, get to your feet, race down the wave, kick out, paddle as hard as you can to get out. And it's, you're just constantly battling the ocean. It's relentless on a, on a good day around here generally because the swell periods are shorter. It's a lot different in Hawaii in the west coast where they have long lulls often and the waves are in hawaii perfect and <laughs> uh but here uh, the, our best waves are often shorter period very blustery conditions um but it, you know it presents its own challenges and, and fun so how do you balance your surfing your running lifting training coaching what's the secret uh you just work a lot <laughs> there's no secret <laughs> Um, I don't surf very much. I mean, that one's definitely sacrificed. I surf maybe, if I'm lucky, three or four times a year. You know, Rebecca, uh, my fiance, I got her aboard last year. So she's taken to it and, and likes it. So that'll force me to maybe go a little bit more since I won't be racing out of the store solo. But um, it's 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 a hard balance, you know, managing the stores. The uh, I also have business in the surf industry as well still. I'm a wetsuit sales rep and a clothing brand sales rep. So... It's just a, lo- a lot of work, and uh, in terms of my own training, I fortunately can sneak it in during what I'm doing. You know, so jogging over to the track is a small shakeout, and then I'll jump in with my Seeker League group on Tuesday nights and help them through some intervals. And um, so a lot of it is if I can get in my run and be working, <laughs> that's that's the best uh, because there isn't much time outside of working right now. So. Yeah, so you've mentioned you have a fiance, Rebecca, who was one of my first running on own podcast interviewees, I think number three. I'll link to it in the show notes, but <laughs> she's been a huge teacher and mentor for me in my journey. But I don't know the story about how you guys met. Was it this running community that brought you together? Yeah, I guess it wasn't the running community. It was a mutual friend. We had many mutual friends that said, oh, you need to meet, you know, to me, you need to meet Rebecca. And they said, oh, you need to meet, you know, those guys from the running store. And initially, Rebecca always jokes, she, she thought we were bodega she thought we were like the cool sneaker store and i love bodega but we're definitely not <laughs> bodega or a running store so there was that confusion on her end and i was um eventually i hosted a, a vibram clinic at a gym of, that was owned by a friend of ours and um it was he 
insisted that Rebecca go to be a part of it. And she thought she was coming to a sort of like conference where I was speaking to a big group. So she came dressed from work and it was about just testing V-rooms on treadmills and lifting in them. <laughs> so I kind of gave her a funny look and said, you're here. She said, she's here for the event. I said, well, this is the event. <laughs> and uh, we just had a little chat and uh, we were friends for a couple of years. She hired me as a running coach so that she could uh, run her fastest Falmouth, which she did that year. Um, and, you know, we stayed in touch, became friends, and then eventually the time was right for us to get together. So there's more people pressing us, like, oh, you should meet each other. <laughs> yeah, then, the universe conspired. Yeah, yeah they were right. <laughs> That's really cool. And obviously, Rebecca is a huge part of the yoga world here mm-hmm. and a pioneer in it. And she has recently published do your own thing. What? How has yoga been a part of your life since being with her? Because I know you've mentioned before we started this podcast, Sunday is your yoga, your mm-hmm. yoga day. And how do you incorporate that into your coaching? Well, I suggest that people do it. <laughs> and I forward them Rebecca's Runner's World videos uh, because they're gentle. But I think it's a really good way to reset your posture, uh, to open up your hips and do some corrective things that people generally don't do on their own. I like things to be, I like to be reasonable with people. I don't pretend as though they're going to do every single thing that I say so I try to insert enough (laughs) that they'll do it you know so I think Rebecca's videos on runner's world are a great tool because they're short you can even if you look at it and say oh it's 15 minutes it's 15 minutes of stretching that when you do it when you break it down by how many little stretches you're going to do you're going to feel a lot better afterwards and someone else is telling you what to do so don't sweat it just turn it on and do it Uh, and for me uh, the more challenging yoga classes I just like the feeling afterwards, you know, it's, um, it's similar to a run, you know, early on or, um, it's challenging and, and, and difficult and also, uh, just feels, makes my body feel, feel good and undoes some of the things that I feel when I'm running, you know, in my longest runs, you'll get a hip flare up or something like that, where I always say when I was marathon training, well, just get through this, you're doing yoga tomorrow <laughs> and it would invariably make me feel better every time so I think it it had a, a, a really good impact on uh, my posture during the run and just uh, making sure that I'm stretched and diligent about it once a day and then it informed just stretches that I do after runs that I can you know get into other get into areas better than I could have previously and I mean flexibility is important for runners so I think having a good yoga teacher which I'm very fortunate to <laughs> have Rebecca around <laughs> and take her classes even um is something that can definitely benefit people's running you know you hear more and more runners talk about it as well you know i'm sure there's more than nick simmons talking about it but he mentioned it recently on a i think a podcast on flow track that i saw so um everyone's talking about it and i think it's it's because it's valuable that's usually what (laughs) gets people talking yeah i also think everyone's talking about running right now Mm -hmm. i mean the boston marathon's coming up I feel like everywhere we're seeing there's running ad campaigns. Mm-hmm. Do you see running as a fad in the U.S. right now that we're going through? Like 25 years from now, do you think people are going to be running in the same amount of people are going to be out there doing marathons and such? I think everything happens in cycles. So I think, you know, I'm sure it'll die off a little bit. Um, but I think and health, health and fitness is a, a big trend right now in general. You know, I think running is the most pure form and probably the easiest to Sometimes people don't think it's easy, but you can just put on a pair of shoes and go out. <laughs> you know? So um, I think it's uh, I think it will grow. I, I think it's I do think it's part of a trend right now. I don't imagine that um, as many stores as are 
arriving everywhere can survive. You know, I think there's the spinning trend. There's just being fit right now is just, it's the thing, you know, it's it used to be, uh, you know, when you, I read a recent article in the New York Times talking about, you know, like investment bankers and it used to be cool to be the steakhouse guy and, you know, smoking and have a certain look <laughs> that would show that those were your interests. <laughs> and now it's all about being fit, you know, like being the CrossFit uh, guy or a fit runner is something that people are really interested in and you see it across everywhere. I mean, just casual fashion is now like looking like you worked out um, athleisure, you know, so as much as I don't like that term, uh, it's a term <laughs> and it's, I, I guess, uh, what people are wearing. And so I think it's definitely running is a part of it. And I think there are always going to be a, a lot of runners, you know, there is this, it's, it's a, it's a very broad interest. So I think it's trending right now, but I don't think it's ever going to go away. <laughs> Might be fewer marathons. I, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think it's definitely something that's going to be around. Yeah, and we know the Boston Marathon's always going to be around. And Boston's a running town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Boston's a running town, and right now it's taper season. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious to hear from you a little advice you have for people on the taper experience. Well, for right now, it's still a couple weeks away, so I say don't be afraid to do some hard work. Still, you know, you should be working. Um, still working fast, shaking out that longest long run. And um, some I, I always just want people to know not to detrain, you know, not to undo all of the great work that they did, not to be afraid to run a, a good hard 10, you know, 10 days out, nine days out, because you're a marathoner now, you're preparing for the marathoner. A, a good 10 is not something you should be afraid of. So getting people to just um, stay calm, that's always my, I, I work mostly on the brain, it feels like. <laughs> I'm trying to get people to stay calm and just, do the work so um, lowering their mileage a little bit but not too much I, I think is, is the key you know you want to run 10 15 percent less volume but start to really hone in on that marathon pace run some runs a little faster but really know that marathon pace so. yeah I think that's totally on point for yourself in 2015 and beyond what are some exciting projects or races that are still on your bucket list that you want to do this year uh, my race, <laughs> I'd say I do the Falmouth Road Race. I, I'm trying to sunset out of racing if I can and just stick to coaching. Um, so I, I, I just enjoy that more at this point. And my running's for me, you know, from, from a racing perspective, um, it's, it's not a, a, a day off really if I'm at a road race or, or racing. I, I, I talk running and do running seven days a week and as my life. So if I have some free time, it's, going to be surfing or <laughs> somewhere else. So um, I don't really have much in terms of personal uh, goals for my own races in terms of PR. So I would like to run the Falmouth a little bit faster, but I was also marathon training last time. I ran it well. So um, that's on the, that's on the mind a little bit. But uh, beyond that, I think expanding the, the Heartbreakers team that I created here, which is our USATF certified running club, uh, expanding that group into... Uh, more programming for that group and just making it bigger and providing um, you know a, a real community that has a little bit of a uh, formality to it not not too formal it's not, not what we're going after but we just want I, I like there seems to be a need for a, a, a team and I think uh, the the team is focusing on that team and its growth are, are really important for me so that's the next phase is, is growing that aspect and growing some more programming and personally, you have a wedding. And I have a wedding to plan <laughs> with Rebecca. She's, I, I can't say I have to plan it, but <laughs> we're working together. Right now, we're both a little crazy with marathon. I can't really see beyond that. Um, I 
and she's got her book that just released. So it's it's been a, a hectic uh, work schedule. But yeah, that, that'll happen in September. And for the day of the Boston Marathon, where will you be during the day? I think I will be at mile 20, I'm pretty sure, at, at Heartbreak Hill. Um, I work, I coach the MGH team, and they have a, a very strong contingent there. Um, the pediatric cancer unit and the ER teams both established cheering sections around that store. So um, it's, it's a fun spot to be. Could you t- take me to the story of one athlete you've been working with either this cycle or last year in regards to Boston Marathon that has been really exciting to watch their growth or their transformation? Uh, I think there's last year I, I coached a, a woman who had never run a step before uh, May of I guess 2013 but she was inspired by you know the bombings and decided she wanted to start being a runner and um, she was in her 60s is in her 60s and uh, had never done anything athletic so when I was working with her it was kind of tough to say um, you know, do the stretch if you play tennis or dance or done any, you know, sort of sport work, stretching or usually I just try to find something someone's done and relate it to what we're going to do, you know, but she hadn't done anything athletic before, um, she said. So I, it was a little bit funny to start in terms of like just getting the basic movements of a calf stretch, you know, things that I don't, when I say calf stretch, most people do a calf stretch. <laughs> um, so it was, it was entertaining and uh, just eye-opening to say, wow, okay, this is a, a, a a big thing she's undertaking and she did she got through the marathon it was a walk jog it took a little while but you know she was really excited and and proud afterwards and that was that was a, a cool experience um and then we have a, a few runners that are uh working really hard to better their their times you know there's a core group that comes to my secretly um workouts and seeing them work really hard to get to that next piece where they've already qualified for Boston and they want to knock that down 10 minutes and they're showing up every week doing three hard workouts a week or two hard workouts in a long run. It's, it's really cool to see the, the drive and, and right now the, the real fitness that they've built and I can't wait for race day for, for them too. So it's, it's always a mix, you know, on both, both sides of the spectrum, qualifiers and people that are just challenging themselves. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a really beautiful thing that you get to witness and coach so many of the different types of experiences. I don't think many coaches get to have that. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's definitely uh, the, a rewarding piece to it. You know, seeing people. We did a taper clinic at Heartbreak Hill Running Company this past week, and it's fun to see the people that were so frightened. You know, just what's this week? Seventeen. You know, seventeen weeks ago, I'm giving my presentation and looking at like just <laughs> a bunch of scared people who've never run the marathon, uh, maybe never in a half even, and they're just scared and. Now, you know, they're doing, they're at a running exercise with me the three days after having run 20 miles, you know, so I, I bring that up. So did you think you'd be out here running with me after you did a 20 miler on Saturday, well, you know, <laughs> four months ago and I say, no, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to witness that transformation and see the, how empowered they feel and, and how strong they are as, as runners that they didn't, they didn't think they could do the, what they're doing. And it's mostly done now. <laughs> it's now just stay the course. It's marching down now. Uh, until the big day. So it's it's always really cool to see that transformation. Yes, it really is. So to wrap our time up, I have a running on own tradition called the grab bag, where for 90 seconds, I'm going to ask you some either or or one word like answer questions, and we'll see how many you can do. Okay. Mountains or oceans? Oceans. Favorite race distance? 800 meters. 
A book you think everyone should read. Do your own thing. That was awesome. <laughs> um, and should purchase it, not just read it. <laughs> tea or coffee? Coffee. <laughs> a place in the world you haven't visited that you'd like to go to? Mm, Fiji. In another life, you wish you had this talent. Singing. Favorite running route? Hmm. Uh, let's say Heartbreak Hill. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Superpower, what would it be? Flight. If you could have tea or coffee with anyone in the world's living or dead, who would it be? Oh, um... I can't remember her name right now. Who's the woman chief justice, the first woman chief justice? Ooh, I'm... I can't remember. But she, every time I hear her on, on NPR, I think she sounds amazing. I'd like to hang out with her. That's embarrassing that I can't remember right now. <laughs> it's okay. We'll look it up. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. And a race that's on your bucket list. Oh, they're, they're in the bucket at this point. A <laughs> uh, race that's on my bucket list. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there'll be another Boston, so another good Boston. Cool. Thank you so much, Dan, for sharing your story on the podcast. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 124 of the Running On Own podcast with Dan Fitzgerald, co-founder of Heartbreak Hill Running Company and South End Athletic Company, coach, runner, and surfer. I am committed to giving you all some of the most incredible people I know for this podcast and want to be able to continue to do so. So please help Running On Own grow by spreading the word about the podcast. Telling one person is all it takes. And if you want to help me better this podcast for all of you, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It'll help Running On Own gain more visibility on the iTunes interface and also help me improve this podcast for your listening experience. Tell someone, leave a review, both will take you less than five minutes. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.